Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm Molly Herford, filling in for the normal women's performance podcast host, Sarah Gross, here on the Women's Performance Podcast, part of the Feisty Media Network. I am so, so excited about today's guest, uh, one of Bicycling's amazing editors, Rosael Torres Davis is the bicycling editor for special projects, although actually bicycling editor isn't totally accurate. She's Hearst's enthusiast group, which includes bicycling, runner's world, and popular mechanics editor for special projects. And today we get into everything about editing. Uh, there are so many jobs within the editing space in the fitness industry between, you know, being an editor at a, an actual magazine to a lot of these websites that are doing stuff in literally any women's sport that you can think of, any sport that you can think of. Um, and getting to talk to her about how she got her job, hilarious story, uh, what a day looks like, how she juggles all of the different projects, and just what it's like being a woman in a very male-dominated space. Uh, we we really get into a lot of things from the more philosophical to the more tangible, which you guys know I really love doing. So, you know, whether we were getting philosophical about uh, what it means to to be women in this space and, you know, not just writing about women cycling, but writing about cycling in general and the importance of how we write about women cycling, um, but then also talking about how we're both setting up our to-do lists to actually get all of our projects done. It was such a fun chat. So definitely enjoy. And before I let everyone get into it, just a reminder that the Outspoken Summit uh, that Feisty Media puts on is coming up. It's November 11th, 11th to 13th in Tempe, Arizona. It's going to be an amazing weekend of just learning from some truly fantastic women, getting into all things business and leadership related. I am so, so excited for the event. I think it's going to be amazing, magical, Rock in time to network with some really rad people, uh, but also to to you know take tons of notes, figure out what it is that you want from your business and how to get there. So really looking forward to that. Definitely check out outspokensummit.com to learn all the details and sign up. All right. Without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Rosael Torres Davis. Okay. Here I am with Rosael, who is an editor at Bicycling Magazine, one of like my first places I ever started writing for like back in the day and who I still write for. So Rosael, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. How's it going? Oh, thank you for having me. It's going well. I'm very excited because it's my first podcast interview. So yeah, well, <laughs> very honored. Thank you. <laughs> So exciting. I love it. Um, well, I'm, I'm excited to be be the first person to to get to interview you here then. Um, so I feel like you have one of these jobs that people will kind of constantly come up to you and be like, how do I get your job? Or like, I want your job. So how did you end up getting this job? Yeah. So actually, I, I could I asked my question, that question to myself a lot. <laughs> um, no, no, but I do, I do have to give myself credit. You know, it's just a classic like imposter syndrome thing. Um, so I do have a bachelor's in journalism that a lot of people don't know about because when I, so first of all, let me just backtrack a little bit. My role at bicycling, um, is special projects editor. Um, so I, I mainly work as a, as a regular editor, but usually my main projects throughout the year, 
are projects that involve like engaging the bicycling audience um, in, in, in different ways of going further than just writing stories. Um, like maybe, for example, I also work with Runner's World and Popular Mechanics. I'm a special editor, a special project editor for all those three brands. Um, and we have different projects throughout the year that may align with holidays or just extra stuff that we want to do for our membership, et cetera. So I, I work with a lot of that stuff. Um, and the way that I arrived here, so yes, so I do have a, a, a bachelor's in journalism that I got back home in the University of Puerto Rico. And because back then I wanted to be a writer. That's what I wanted to be. Um, but I think at that time, I've always been the kind of person who's been interested in many different things. And I just did not want to give up the things that I like doing. Like I liked fashion a lot at the time. So, um, and I was always very crafty. So I guess when I was about to finish um, journalism school, I was just a little disappointed because the direction that they wanted to take me in in journalism school was more um, towards um, politics and that kind of thing. And it was just not, I wanted to write more about culture and things like that. And I just, I just kind of lost the passion for a minute there and decided to lean into this other passion that I had. Um, and I started taking more design lessons on the sites. I was going to college for journalism and on the summers and my time off, I would take sewing lessons, design lessons. Um, and maybe I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but what happened was that the people who were teaching me about clothing and design and all this, they saw that I had talent. So they asked me to, they, they encouraged me to participate in this competition that was called Project Plus Arella which is basically a ripoff of Project Runway. <laughs> but, you know, in, in Puerto Rico, in a, in a smaller town, like not, not a big deal. Like you end up having like a runway show in the mall. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> so that was fun. And I, and that motivated, and I really loved that part of my life. And that's how I ended up eventually moving to New York so I could go to the Fashion Institute of Technology, FIT. So I, I took uh, like they had this one year program for students who already had credits or degrees from other um, uh, colleges and universities. So I did that. And that um, I basically worked in the fashion industry for 10 years, a little longer if you count the time that before if I, I, I went to FIT because I did work in wardrobe design for theater um, and then just like a lot of, I, I like, I had an internship with Lifetime for a movie that was being filmed in Puerto Rico. So I got my education and my career started a little bit earlier than that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I worked in fashion for 10 years. Um, there, but the issue, the problem I found with fashion is that it's, it's, it's so competitive, almost to a fault. Because what happens is that there's so much competition and so much talent that the salaries are like very low. Um, and unless you have a very good support system, like having coming from money, knowing the right people and this and that, it's just very hard. And then at the time, I, so after going to FIT, I decided to stay in New York. And that's where I spent those 10 years. And it was just like the quality of life was declining. And I was already getting into my hobby of cycling. So I just decided to pivot and go back to journalism and it kind of worked out, but that was magic. So I guess your question was like, how did I get the job basically? So I think maybe you may have to ask Bill or editor in chief here at Bicycling, but 
I, I it was cycling for a season and I always had really weird dreams. And I dream a lot about things that I think of everyday life. So I had this dream that I put on Twitter where I, I was in Belgium in my dream and I go into a bar and um, I guess Matthew Vanderpool was on the other side of the bar in my dream. And he was like making eyes at me and all that. And he comes over and he wants to talk and flirt. <laughs> oh my God, I see you're laughing so hard. <laughs> this is the best story ever. <laughs> okay. And then in the dream, Matthew Vanderpool is kind of like asking me out and this and that. And by the way, I did not tell this to Vanderpool when I interviewed him last year <laughs> okay i did not think this was professional which i am very Probably, disappointed about yeah no, no i think i am glad i'm glad i i don't think he would he's the kind of cyclist would appreciate who would think that's funny or cute <laughs> anyway i in the dream so he comes over to me and i'm like i'm not interested my other boyfriend is wood von art <laughs> so i cannot date you so i <laughs> tweeted this who and I, I was still a kind of a new user to Twitter. I I only opened my Twitter account in 2018, so I was just experimenting. What what like what do people tweet about? Anyway, I'm very glad I tweeted that out there because um, our editor in chief, uh, Bill, he saw it and he was like, "You must know a lot about cycling <laughs> if you're having dreams like that. Um, you should. In- we have a few positions open at bicycling. You should interview for them." And, and I did. And I, I, and it was, this was also at a time where I had already moved to Philly after the pandemic had already hit in New York really hard. So I left New York and I was unemployed. Um, I left New York in July of 2020. I was unemployed for a while. I had so many interviews and the last interview I had was with bicycling um basically the enthusiast group at Hearst which is bicycling runners world and popular mechanics and I got the job (laughs) and it was but it was I feel very lucky and privileged but I also had I was looking for work for a long time and I did not get into the details of that but I had at least 27 interviews before I got the job so there was a lot of crying there was a lot of like practicing a lot of like talking revising my resume over and over and I was just like oh my god okay finally and yes and I'm I'm very happy to be here now (laughs) okay so this is the most amazing thing because (laughs) there are so many things that are amazing about this like in general but also there's this very odd parallel that you and I have that's just like uncanny in a lot of ways so yeah like like in what way well so I started in fashion journalism like that was what I wanted to do I was actually writing for L girl magazine um as like my first like magazine job but 10 years ago maybe I wrote um a column for this now defunct tumblr page called bangable dudes in pro cycling um and I did the I just want to cuddle edition because I was like young and awkward (laughs) yeah and like ended up writing about guys that I ended up interviewing a lot, which is like a whole separate thing. But that's actually how Bill Strickland found me. <laughs> was that Amazing. Column. Oh, wow. So <laughs> you have a Twitter thread about like Matthew Vanderpool flirting with you in a dream. I wrote a thing about how I thought like, like Flukinger was super cute and dreamy. Oh, my God. And uh, here, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Look at us. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I think we, just so people know, we also tweet about much more serious things, not just uh, cyclists that are cute. <laughs> yeah, we, we do tweet a lot about peeing as well, which we'll get into. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> about cycling, peeing. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, also, I will say, like, when I came into the bicycling office to meet you for the first time, I realized that like, we had almost the same haircut and we were wearing almost the same thing. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I was like cracking. So it's really funny that we. Oh, have- and so many times, so many times we have messaged each other at the same time, almost pitching the same story. Yeah, we we are probably double gangers of each other, like Canadian, Puerto Rican. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and also, like I was with Dan Chabanov at his first ever bike race. To go back to one of your <laughs> your, your carpool buddies, so we do have a weird amount in common. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> okay, so the next thing that people, so people want to know how they get your job. But I think there's also this assumption that being the editor at Bicycling, it means like, you're like, on these like, exotic press trips, and like on super sick bike rides all day, every day, and then like, you know, writing a couple things, maybe. Um, yeah. So uh, what does it actually look like the the day to day of uh, being yeah. an editor? So, so first of all, I would say anybody who wants to have a job in cycling media or just sports media, they should just at least try because I didn't know until I met the people that I met here that guided me through the process of the interviews and applying to the job. I didn't realize how much qualified I actually was for the job. Because I didn't know, I never had the opportunity to work in cycling media, even though I applied to many, many, many jobs in cycling media and didn't get any of them. Um, But I guess in my resume and in my cover letter and the way I presented myself, I wasn't using the right language. So it's just worth always revising and talking and trying and just asking people to look over your resume and especially people who are closer to that industry. Uh, It just took me some time because I was in the fashion industry for so long that it wasn't until I took my hobby of cycling more seriously that I started meeting more people in the industry. It has to be asked. You were in the fashion industry. Did you ever have the urge to go more into like the design side of cycling or like was kit design like not at all interesting? No, because expandix clothing is really difficult to work with. <laughs> and my my bachelor was actually not specific. Like, for example, I think somebody who actually wants to do that may need a little bit more knowledge on the those types of tech fabrics it's just that the tech fabric i was more into high fashion um like i actually ended up becoming a hat maker that's another story like a a millionaire so and the materials that you use in high fashion and millinery are just totally different from the tech fabrics that you use for sportswear not that the, the, the jump could have been made but i was so disillusioned with fashion and the whole also the industry behind fashion which is not the most eco friendly one et cetera but then i just wanted out um, and I, I, and I just do it as a hobby now at home. I, I still have my sewing machine and I have my craft room and all that. So, um, but yeah, no, Fair I wasn't enough. interested in that. Yeah. Um, but you said about how, how, what is my job? Like, what does it look like versus what it, what it is in real life? Um, so I think bicycling, it's its own case at the moment because it, being owned by Hearst, the way that Hearst works is that they organize Kind of like how out the, the, the transition that outside is going through right now, where they're like 
um, kind of like reorganizing themselves to make it more efficient because it doesn't make sense to have journalists covering the same events, even though it is sad to see publications close. But that's that's what happens when you get bought by a big a bigger company. So basically, the way that Hearst organizes its magazines is by groups, which has its pros and cons. Like I wish I had sometimes I wish I had uh, all my time to give to bicycling only, but I also have to take care of Runners World and Popular Mechanics. But at the same time, they, this gives you. Uh, a larger group of coworkers that you can work with. And because so, so many people have so many great ideas to contribute. And if you just, if you only reach out to cycling nerds all the time, you may be missing out on a lot of things. And the number of coworkers we have from different publications who have, who reach out to the bicycling crew to get advice on cycling stuff. It's so good. And I love, and I've, I've seen so many workers go from, not not ever trying commuting to now being commuters like a hundred percent of the time so it's cool too it's like it has its pros and cons in that way um and yeah no um maybe other publications who who have who have editors who can only who only focus on the cycling side yeah maybe they're traveling a lot and going to a lot of places and like you know <laughs> Um, doing a lot of stuff that, that looks a lot of fun. I mean, I'm, but it's, but I can tell you writing and editing, no matter where you work, is a lot of work. Um, but yeah, what does it look like? I guess, I guess I just dividing my time between three magazines, but I am partial to bicycling and my bosses know that. Um, and I don't know, am I, am I answering your question or do you want to ask a follow-up question so you can bring me back into the track? <laughs> No, it's it's great. Like this is all this is all perfect and exactly like in line. Um, I mean, I know. So I kind of see behind the scenes a little bit at bicycling because I'm you know writing for them pretty frequently. But like I know a lot of your day, I feel like is balanced between like being on Slack and being in email while also trying to like work on all these projects. And uh, I mean, you know, during like say the Olympics or the tour, I know it's it's pretty like full on, just you know, at the computer all the time so like yeah give me like a you know day in the life like what's you know okay. what's the normal you answered you got the first part of the question now let's get into the nitty-gritty like how boring is the day uh actually not very boring and it goes by really fast and you know throughout the year we have like right now i'm learning that this time of year is a little slower for all the brands that i work for so I just have to plan, like, what are the projects that need a little bit more TLC that I can work on during the fall season? Um, but anyway, on um, for example, in Tour de France season, the good thing is that um, because the Tour de France is such a big part of our jobs, we are allowed to sit there for four hours and watch the whole race. So we do have a very large TV room and, and really comfy, comfy area that we can um, socialize with other coworkers, explain to them if they don't know about the Tour de France, talk to them about it. But yeah, but then right after the Tour de France is done, we're on our computers just typing away and trying to work as fast as possible. Um, but you know, it is nice to finally have a job where I can watch the bike racing and nobody's going to be like, Rosile, go back to your job. <laughs> no, this is my job. I remember one of the first articles I did, like the first summer I was working with bicycling was how to watch the Tour de France while you're at work. And it was like all the sneaky ways to watch it while you're working. <laughs> exactly. <in the> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could have used that a while ago in my other jobs. 
Um, but yeah, it looks like that. Um, lots of meetings, interviews. Um, I think I, I belong to, while my department of special project, it's its own thing. I work really closely with service and news, um, which I like a lot. Um, and I just, and I, I, and I, I do find that they value me a lot, even though I'm not a service and news type um, editor or journalist, but I do contribute a lot there because I feel like I feel very in tune with what's happening in the cycling world. And I'm always telling them, hey, like, this is a story you should cover. Um, let me know how I can help you with this. Or whenever I see that they are working on something that is really cool and could use a little bit more TLC, me, a special projects manager, that's how editor that's how i that's one of what my job is like oh this this piece of content is really cool we should make a big instagram push for it we should do a video for it so then i pitch i i make a pitch i send it to the video team um if i think it should be presented in a special way in the newsletter for a membership then i that's so that's where i jump in to just elevate content that's already being created by my coworkers. i love that um, also, I think there's a lot of people that try to transition from like journalism to editing. And I think there's a distinct difference between journalism and editing. Like there's a reason I'm not an editor and it's because I'm not a very good one. Um, how do you kind of wear both of those hats? Because I know you're still writing a fair bit, but also like editing other stuff is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard. Um, but that's where I just have you have to reach out to your coworkers. I'm learning that when I write, I have the bad because I'm. I think I'm a better editor than I am a writer. Um, but I, th- I could also see that changing because, because again, I'm like you said, like we said in the beginning, I spent ten years in fashion, so I'm still pretty new to this, even though I did study journalism. Um, so what I find is that I edit my stuff too much, and I just have to write and just hand it off and forget about it, you know. Um, so I'm just trying to get in the habit of like cut myself off, stop revising stuff so much and send it to your editor. Um, so that's where something I'm still working on because sometimes I spend too much time trying to think, get things perfect. Um, and as for editing, I really enjoy it because I, I enjoy working with writers who, I don't know, like through, through everybody's writing, you can kind of, once you get, you get used to their style, you get to to start thinking about where they're going and what they're trying to communicate. And you can lean more into that and help them out, like communicate those thoughts better, especially when it's something like, yes, that idea, that's where where you should expand on. Like that's where you're like the passion of the story is like, and all of this. So yeah, how I'm, I'm still learning a lot. So I can't really give you a straight answer. Um, and I don't want to offend like writers and editors who have been doing this for their whole life. But I do, I, I do love both. Um, it's not easy. Um, and also with editing, sometimes you can overdo it and you can like kill a, a story. I don't know. It's, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, and I think like it's something you and I have talked about a lot. Like, I mean, we were even last month, we were kind of going back and forth on like, is it an interview or is it like a more like feature style story? And I think like shifting from interview to feature style was like absolutely the right decision, even though I think it was harder for both of us to to do that. Yeah, no, that that was on the Kristen Faulkner interview. Yeah, it's just sometimes you, you, you also have to step back and look at the content that you have already created. You have to see what other media outlets are creating out there. 
what your readership wants, because also bicycling readership is very different from that of Bella News outside or, um, you know, any other like Rolly or um, any other publications. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. 
to check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match. And then use the code performance for 15% off your first purchase. That's code performance at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off. And the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. That actually gets into one of the questions I wanted to ask you about was for a freelancer who's listening to this that wants to be writing for a place like bicycling. I was going to ask what makes a good pitch. And I think part of it is exactly what we just said there, like knowing what, you know, what the bicycling, who the bicycling audience is and like what our content tends to look like versus, you know, some of these other sites, an interview style might actually be what the like super deep cycling people want. They want every single word that the person said. But the more casual cycling fan wants to read more of a, be like told more of a story and also like filled in on a lot of the background because they might not be aware of it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also I'll recommend, like, I guess for the tip for freelancers in that sense would be to obviously do your research to just make sure that the the brand that you're pitching to does not have a similar story. And if they do, and you still think that your story pitch is, is very good, then just make sure that you um, acknowledge that there's a similar story and how yours is going to be different. And yeah, yeah. And, but I, and for pitching in general, I, pitching is very hard, even internally, like a lot of editors will pitch internally to different departments here. And it, it is, it is difficult, but I, I guess my advice in that sense would be um, like pitch it the way you would pitch an interesting story to a friend. Like, hey, this happened to me the other day. And you kind of say the most important thing first. And then you explain what happened. Like kind of like that. Um, and, and keep it short. Like sometimes we receive a pitch. It's basically a, a short article. Yeah. But I mean, if that works for you, fine. But 
I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't think I can give the best advice on how to pitch. I'm just saying I like, do your research and check out what other cycling publications are doing and why would this fit for bicycling? And yeah, we'll love to read your pitch. No, I think that's perfect. And I think you're exactly right about the, like, has it been done before, which I will admit as a, you know, someone who's doing a lot of writing, it's very like annoying to have to add that extra bit of work, but it's like 30 seconds. It takes no time. Oh, and I, I would say that a lot of the search engines in and website and like in like the internal ones like that you would get in a, in a specific website are not as good as going to Google. It's better to to write like Bella News or Bicycling Magazine and the topic you want to and, and see what comes down. I, like internal search engines are, are not great yet. <laughs> Such a good tip. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, as you were talking about sort of some of your special projects and, um, you know, being able to jump in with service and news, I have to ask, like, how are you coming up with story ideas? Because I know, like, I see it in Slack, like you spend so much time keeping an eye on what's happening in cycling, in cycling media. Like what's, what's your like nitty gritty backdrop here? Do you, what RSS, what Twitter, what are you using? So actually I didn't start using like Google alerts until this year. Um, and I actually don't like them that much, but I, I do, I guess I, I, maybe I'm just a huge cycling nerd because my whole life from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm thinking about something cycling related. And I just think that that's what I have surrounded myself with in all my Instagram and social media feeds. So it just gets fed, fed through me organically. I'm also part of a lot of Slack groups. Like we have a, a Slack group the, that I belong to from New York where a lot of cyclists just, and you know, in, in Slack and those community groups, it's just people who love bikes too, who are trying to either solve a problem or talk about a topic or bring attention to a topic. And that's exactly what my job is too, right? So I just like, I, I, I'm just listening. They call it what social listening. So I think that's what I do a lot of the time. And I feel like if I'm interested in this story and I'm like a cycling nerd, there's a chance that this is um, stuff that our readers would like too. Yes, absolutely. Well, it seems to be working. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that just makes a ton of sense. Like building out all of your... Yeah, and but other than aside from social media, because you should we should not get all of our ideas and pitches from the internet. Um, I do make a point, and it's something that when I was hired for this job, I was like, I need to have my space and time to interact with my cycling community. Like, for example, we have a hybrid schedule at work, and there's like Wednesdays is the day of the week I do absolutely do not go into the office because we have a community bike ride in the morning. Or we have a community bike ride in the evening. There's a, In the morning, there's a road ride called the Dirty 30. And in the evening, there's a gravel ride called the Paper Trail Espresso Gravel Ride. So those, I think those are things that it's important to, to just keep my ideas authentic and relevant and be in touch with the cycling community that you're a part of. Um, I think that's important too. I think that's huge, especially for those of us who are a, a little introverted and maybe not like the biggest fans of group rides like myself. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Like I'm not saying go every time, but for example, sometimes I don't feel like waking up at 5 a.m. to go to the group ride in the morning, but I'll meet them for coffee afterwards and just listen to them chat and say hi and all that. And there, there's a lot of ways that you can be involved without 
yeah, having to just go to the group ride every single day of the week or, I mean, also in Philly, there are so many group rides. It's almost like I should do a tour of just the group rides that we have in Philly because they're all so different and interesting. But yeah, maybe maybe that could be a story another time. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Now we're coming up with more stories. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, okay, being a woman in cycling media, I'm going to argue it has its pros and cons. And I remember when I first started in it like a while ago, I remember being asked this question and I was like, honestly, I've never seen a con to it because I was like one of the few women in it. So like actually at the time, I was probably getting more opportunities than a lot of guys who were trying to get into it because people needed a woman who was writing for them. So I've always had like a very positive experience, but I know that's not that's not always the case. How's how's it been for you? Okay, at least at bicycling, it's been great. At bicycling, and this is something that actually not all people know, but um, I th- and I, I can't say that for sure that it, I, I can't say it's a fact, but I, I my perception is that bicycling has uh, has more women as editors and writers and 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 you know in different roles in the in the company, um, and I really feel that. And so far, I felt very valued, appreciated, listened to, respected, and it's been as my first corporate job ever, because I come from working companies that are 20 employees or less, I felt very welcomed. And, and yeah, like, obviously there's always like little issues here and there, but nothing that can't be solved by dealing with it myself and bringing it up. Like, Hey, I, I thought I wasn't being treated fairly in this meeting. Um, or just like speaking to your manager, but I have, but yeah, so far I'm very pleased with that. Um, about the larger, like working as a woman in the cycling industry, you know, I still get mansplained a lot and that happens a lot in real life. It happens a lot on Twitter. Like I'm not going to, I'm not, obviously I'm not a gear expert. If I was a gear expert, I would be working with Dan Shabanov, Matt Phillips and Tara Saplavi in the, in the test and gear department. But, you know, I do know my fair bit. So when I say on Twitter that I'm looking for a bike that has this, this, and this, is because I've done my research and I know what I want and I know what, what it's out there. Um, and if I'm asking on Twitter, it's because I haven't seen it in any of the, my research. But, you know, but then, for example, I, I did bring up a similar question like that on Twitter recently because I'm looking for a new commuter bike. And I got a mix of answers. So I have to say most of them are actually on the productive side. But obviously, I also got a lot of people mansplaining how you're never going to find a bike like that or... Or telling me that that's not what I want, that I want this other thing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I know what I want on a bike. I've been riding bikes since I was a kid. I know what I want, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but I can't, I guess I, I still, I'm, I still have to experience a lot more. Um, I guess for, for cycling events, for example, I've only been to a few, like it says the other classic I went to for the first time in April this year. And that was a really great experience because I think, I don't know how the sea otter classic has been in past years. But I, I had the opportunity to connect with a lot of women there and have a lot of really good conversations. I, I, I met the people from Live Cycling. I met in person um, people like Le, Le, um, uh, Alexis. I'm forgetting her last name. She's a, a chef and she is really into yoga. Lenten Alexis? Yes. So she was awesome. Um, yeah, and just meeting in person a lot of women that I in the cycling industry that I respect a lot and getting to meet in person. Um, and I saw a lot of that there. But also I have to say, at least uh, from a 
cycling fan perspective and a viewer, I think the cycling industry has changed a lot in the last five years. Like, for example, having like, like GCN now providing so much cycling coverage, even of American and North American racing and having hosts um, like uh, Orla Chenui um, in the breakaway and having more podcasts like Abby Mickey um, with the freewheeling, even though her podcast, it is older, but it has been growing, getting more attention now. I think, and there's just a lot of things changing and I, it's just been really, I think, I think I came into the cycling industry at a, at a different time. So my experience so far has been different and I, I still have a lot to learn. Like I still haven't been to a grand tour on the ground. I will have to do that sometime. So, yeah. I think we might need to convince Zwift to bring us to the the Tour de France Femmes of X-Wift next year. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I did get some invitations. It's just that it didn't, uh, it was too last minute, uh, you know, and because we work with other publications, it was just hard to swing it. And this is always the hard thing about the cycling industry. And it's for some reason, I don't think it's ever going to change. Everything always happens at like the 11th hour. We're never ahead of ahead of things it's always like <sighs> oh you could come to this thing it starts uh tomorrow but uh if you fly tonight you're like that's not gonna work for me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, we have to at least briefly discuss p gate uh which is uh on the note of bicycling having mostly female editors and writers and female staff um you and I got in uh, what I'm going to call like social media, like meme land over the summer because we were covering the women's tour and uh, we did this article about how women pee during bike races, which is a topic that has been covered in like every magazine for men. Like every other site has a men's article, like how the guys pee during the Tour de France. Yeah. And it's a story that we update every year if there's new information. And yeah. Yeah, but continue setting the the pictures. (laughs) And this year there was new information because we had a women's tour. So the question arose, how do women pee during these, you know, hundred odd mile races? I think that's a totally fair question. So did a lot of people. So we asked a few of the pros in the Peloton and they gave us amazing answers and we wrote about it. Um, And then a lot of people read the headline and I still don't totally understand what happened, but for some reason seem to think that it was sexist that we covered the fact that women pee or were offended that women pee. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember who pitched that story? That was me. So it was pitched by a woman. It was written by a woman and it was edited by a woman. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, what was the problem? <laughs> seems sexist to me we didn't get a man in there explaining it that yeah. might have been our issue so yeah people will always just find something to say yeah yeah and apparently yeah talking about p was just ready to be memed so um, oh, wait till they hear about the next pitch i have oh no, boy. I'll, 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 I'll send it to you on slack you'll be i can't wait <laughs> i can't wait uh any bodily functions and i'm i'm here for it pretty much um yeah i guess i mean i guess people picked on that story first of all i thought it was low-hanging fruit because it's like oh t- talking about poo poo pee pee haha that's funny right so, so shame on them, really, um, for picking a low-hanging fruit. There's so many other issues in cycling that they could be making fun of, like, you know, <clears throat> UCI stuff. But, um, 
Yeah, no, I was like, and, and, and you know, and, and if anything, it gave us more, more, more attention and more people read the story and learned how they do it and how it is so badass that, that athletes, including men too, um, can like cycling is one of the hardest sports in the world and they have to pee while they are riding bikes and they have to stop or not stop. And actually after that whole drama with the P gate story, um, on Twitter, I had a former pros like Alison Tetrick tweet that, yeah, like actually there's more than there's more than one way to go to the bathroom while you're on the bike without having to stop. So we may have to update that story with new information because there's actually more ways to, you know, attend to those bodily functions um, when you need to while you are at work, because at the end of the day, this is part of their job. These athletes, you know, from the moment they wake up, from the moment they go to sleep, they're working. Um, so, yeah, why, why not? talk about how they do this, how they manage to do this during their job. But yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it brought a lot of attention to the fact that we were covering every single day of the like of the Tour de France Femmes and we were doing so much around it. So honestly, yeah, it was kind of awesome. That, that's a funny thing. It's, it's not like we put that story in the main and then the homepage thing, but like as the lead story there, if you go to, if you went to bicycling websites during the Tour de France Femmes, there were so many stories about women and the race, so good. <laughs> but, but yeah, they, they, they just decided to pick on that one because it was easy. Um, but also I think at the same time, a lot of people came out and in our support and like people like, I don't know this person, but this memer, um, the gas station foot cyclist, uh, like he brought a good point. Like he said something about how criticizing and making memes about us writing that story was also policing women's bodies. And I didn't even, I hadn't arrived at that conclusion yet. And I'm like, wow, that's really true. Like we can't write about our own bodily functions that affect how we feel when we ride bikes. Yeah. It was so funny. The only reason I found out it was controversial was because I got like, I woke up to like 10 supportive messages that were just like, I'm so sorry. People are being dicks about this story. And I was just like, it was like two weeks. It was like two weeks of stuff. I could not believe it. I like, I was like, wait, people are being mean about a story? Like, oh, no. <laughs> like, yeah, well, you're not surprised. But anyway. Oh, I was horrified. I was like, under my covers, like devastated. Because even even when you like, re- like, even when you know, it's like, ridiculous. And like, that you're completely in the right it still hurts a little bit like it still makes your stomach sink a little bit it does hurt because when I was writing when I was editing the story I thought okay there may I, I actually thought there may be somebody who picks up this and makes a meme out of it but I did not think it was gonna be the accounts that did it because I was actually a fan of those accounts not anymore um and because they actually they they wanted to die on that hill and I'm like, what a weird hill to die on. Well, I think you you said it best, though. I mean, I got so many clicks to the site. I don't think I'm allowed to share the numbers, but it was it was one of our highest performing stories um, during that period of time. Yeah. No, like, I think we deserve a promotion for that, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, OK, so that kind of led to like one of the other questions I wanted to ask you is, does watching bike racing ever get old? Because, I mean, it's it is tough, like when. When your passion is also your nine to five, like that's a difficult thing. Well, again, I think I came into cycling in a different, like into working in cycling at a different time because now we have coverage on every single race and I cannot keep up with it. Like by the time La Vuelta España arrived, I was 
done with watching cycling and it didn't help that the Vuelta España, like the course is fine, wasn't great. And the, I did, didn't find the racing particularly exciting. Um, but yeah, no, it makes it difficult. Uh, it makes it a little harder to enjoy your day to day. But I think if you are able to find a balance and put boundaries to yourself as to when you stop working and, and when you watch a race for yourself and when you watch it for the, for my job, um, thankfully at bicycling, we don't cover every single race. I, I like the aspect that bicycling is more about cycling as a lifestyle. So it's, a, it's more about regular people who also love cycling or, or like, I think Bill Strickland likes to say cyclists who also have a life. <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't quote that. I wouldn't say the, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. And I find that interesting because yeah, it's like about cyclists who are also interested in nutrition and, and sleeping better and eating better and having more fun with their families when they go out on cycling, learning about where, how they can find new ways of creating routes, what's safe, what isn't, like, et cetera. Um, so thankfully, we only have to really like be diehard on our jobs when it comes to the big races like Tour de France, Euro Italia, Tour de France, Femmes, um, Vuelta España. But for all the smaller races, I can just enjoy those for myself. So yes, I think it's just, just, you have to create boundaries and just like ask yourself, am I watching this for myself right now or for my job and, and go from there and how you want to handle that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, on the note of boundaries, I know you've had to kind of figure out how to get good at boundaries because especially with, you know, all of the jobs kind of slip into each other at Bicycling because all of it kind of connects. Um, Mm -hmm. so how... Any tips for someone who's like struggling to set some boundaries in, in their job? Let's see. It's hard. I'm still, I'm still figuring it out because it's, it's so easy to, when you're so passionate about something to just dedicate, you know, 12 hours a day to it. I think again, I just try to have my work hours. Like I work from nine to five and I'll only work more if it's a deadline or, you know, if I'm really like, if I'm super, super passionate about something like, like during the Tour de France fans, I did work over time, but that was a historic moment. And I'm like, this is worth it right now. And I absolutely will do it because I also wanted to have, I, you know, I, I, I care too much. Basically, I wanted to be well presented. I wanted to be as researched as the men's stories are um, presented in a way that let people know that, yeah, this is women's racing, but I didn't want to just put it in that box, you know, like this should be interesting to everybody. So it, it is hard, but I, I would just say, I don't know, you just have, always have to examine yourself. I think it's like being your own parent or being your own manager. Like I, I just start by, okay, I work from this hour to this hour. And in my free time, because a lot of my free time involves cycling in some way, I have to, so this is for me, but I know that this knowledge and these experiences that I'm having are going to filter into my work and make it better. So rather than going out on a lunch ride that maybe I went over 15 minutes on my lunch time, instead of feeling bad about that, I'm like, Hey, no, this is cool. Like everything that I experienced today is going to make my job better because I'm lucky enough to work for bicycling magazine, doing something I love a lot. 
TK way is to use your lunch hour to get creative inspiration. Back yeah. by five study. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just can't help myself. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I can't, I, I don't have the best answers, I'm, but that's, that's a cool thing about you interviewing many different people, because I'm sure that I'll listen to another episode and learn something about a, another industry professional who has a really good technique for this kind of thing. And at first I, I did try different ways of managing my time. Like I wanted to, I research using the Pomodoro technique, Ooh. which is like, it's just a, a clock. And, but instead of measuring time in numbers, they measured it, they measure it in tomatoes. And I guess that seemed attractive to me because it was silly and quirky. It didn't, it didn't end up working. Um, I figured that I just had to continue exploring what my workflow was before I tried to put boundaries and organize it for you that you've been in this for so long you probably have your like for example what are your techniques like for staying organized and putting boundaries obsessive list making is the the big one oh yeah 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 yeah. and actually I I did want to ask you like which which like apps and like how you're how you're kind of keeping everything together now with like so many different projects and yeah for me I use um I use the Todoist app because it syncs with uh it syncs with GCal and you can have both like regular to-dos in it but then also like appointments because I always found like the calendar doesn't work for me because it just has like my appointments for the day exactly or like just my appointments and like the big stories that are due that day but it doesn't have like you need to email this person about like this thing or like just the small yeah. little to do. So I guess I, I do have some there. I, in the beginning, I tried using Asana, but it didn't work out because I didn't, I have too many apps that I use on a daily basis and it just became another app that I needed to, it just felt like another responsibility to have to check out those boxes and organize it. And I, I think in part, partially because of my ADHD it also helps a lot to, to have pen and paper. So I do have a notebook with me that I carry and I'll do a lot of to-do lists. And, and it's, it's fun to just sometimes getting in the habit of, you know, it's my notebook. I can write whatever I want there. I can write silly messages to myself. Like sometimes I wrote a, before I went on vacation to Mallorca a few weeks ago, uh, I, ha- I made a to-do list a month ahead of the trip for every week um, um, coming, getting closer to the trip to make sure I was on track and I wasn't leaving any loose threads before I left for vacation. And it involved a lot of to-do lists and also messages to myself, like, Hey, if this feels overwhelming, ask for help. Or like, don't forget to tell your manager that this may not be done before you leave, you know, and just like little things like that notes myself. Um, and at work, we also do a thing where every morning we, we check in um, on Slack and we just write the or to-do list for the day. And some people, and not so like, yeah, so it's good for, for our managers to know what we're doing, but it's also really good organization for myself. Um, and, but yeah, I think, for, but, but I would say pen and paper is the best so far. And on the Outlook calendar, even though some people may debate that you don't want to mix your personal stuff with work, but it helps me to see what are my personal priorities in the Outlook calendar. So I can, so if I have a doctor's appointment or I have any, anything that's important to me personally, like a lunch with a friend, just putting it there. So I know this lunch is more important than this other thing. This can wait. This is my personal time. And it just helps having all in one place. 
I could not agree more. I think way too often we try to like really separate the like personal and professional stuff, but then really you kind of, I feel like you end up ignoring one or the other <laughs> to the detriment of both. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, speaking of that, I've been, t- and I don't admit, maybe this is also a question I can ask you. I've been trying to get in the habit of, instead of saying I am an editor, I, I of saying I work as an editor. Because especially knowing that life can change a lot and that I came from a completely different industry and that you, and that your passions can change and life can change and it's okay to pivot. It's better to just say, I, I am Rosahel and I work as the editor for this magazine. And I think that has helped me both keep things separate, but also be able to see myself as a whole individual who also works for uh, this company. I love that. Yeah. And it's funny. One of the questions that we actually, I like didn't get to because we've been going off on so many good sides here is, is the idea of like keeping your identity as a human, um, but also, and like even just your own personal brand um, while also then being, you know, working as an editor at bicycling. And I think that can be really tricky when someone loves their work and like loves what they're doing and is so stoked on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, life, life changes. So I think it's it's also important to kind of keep continuing to grow who you are as a person and like leading with that, not necessarily leading yeah. with like who you work Oh, for. definitely. And also like, if you are in the position where you have job offers and you're able to choose where you want to work or you have more time or more financial support to find the perfect job for you, it's also asking yourself, how will this job help me grow personally? Not only my career, yes, I'm interested in that, but more than anything, I'm like, how how am I growing personally? And for example, so far, working in a bigger company, I'm learning how to problem solve, but with more people in the room, right? And more uh, varying opinions and this and that. And I'm learning um, what hills are worth dying on, you know, like what, how, how to choose your battles and how to compromise like compromise is like it's not what we always want to do but it's it's really important and we have to realize even at, even at work we live in a society we live in, in a and we're part of a, a community so yeah it's important to not forget how you want this job to help you and how you return the favor to your job and to your overall community yeah i love that i actually had sort of sim- i have had that similar thought recently i was doing some work with like a, a more startup company so the pay sort of sucked but the guy who was running it was like a marketing like genius from another place so it was like okay if i work you know doing some copywriting with them like i'm actually like getting to talk to this guy about marketing and like learning a ton about these sort of like things in marketing that i had no idea about that have been so cool to learn and like dig into even though it's not necessarily like fill in my bank account <laughs> yeah no well it's just like, like being like this opportunity to just sit here and talk to you right now and i'm hoping that other people and women and and black and indigenous and people of color could listen to this and and start thinking oh maybe i can also work in in cycling media or whatever you're passionate about and yeah like, I think that's in that way, like, I don't want to, why keep that a secret? You know, like the, the way that I got my job, why does that have to be a secret? No, I got my job in a weird ass way and you can too. <laughs> exactly. Just, just make sure you're tweeting all of your really good dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Only the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I, that could actually be, I like that because that's also like the, the like figurative, like, what are your dreams? But then also like, yeah, like, what did you dream about last night? Was it hilarious? All right, go for it. <laughs> uh, okay. The last thing I want to touch on here is making space for training and riding and some racing. Like, I know it's super tough when you're like also, you know, working a lot and I know your commute is not super short. Um, but I guess like two questions. One is like, how do you actually like prioritize it and make time for it? But then the other is actually the more like philosophical, I guess, or side of it is I kind of feel like, especially maybe as a woman, there's a certain expectation that I maintain this certain like level of fitness. And I mean, yeah, like the ability to like show up and like be on any of these like press trips or whatever, and like be able to ride with the boys or, you know, do any of that stuff. Um, or even just like, you know, even on social media, like being able to show up and like do these things because otherwise, like now I'm like not really in it, um, which is, you know, luckily I like doing it. So it makes sense for me, but I'm like, I, I don't know if I was just like, I need a year off of like running and riding. Like, would that really, would that work? I don't know. Uh, so yeah. Do you feel the expectation? Cause I, I know a lot of guys in cycling media who or like in cycling, in the cycling industry that do not particularly seem overly fit, but every woman I know could like, are like, oh yeah, you need me to go do like a 200 mile gravel ride. Like, yeah, done. No problem. Yeah. Um, no, this is an important question actually. Um, because also for a woman, it's just different in many ways. Like for example, um, how I think our bodies can change more dramatically once we lower how much exercise we do. Um, and that's something that I've been certainly going through because I, ever since the pandemic hit, I decided to not race, um, like as competitively, uh, com- competitively. And I've been, but that, that drew me, that was great in a way because then it drew my attention to gravel racing. And that's something that I've been exploring with a lot of awe and like admiration and, and criticism too, but it's just been just really interesting to me, um, to learn about this all other side and how it's, how long has it been around and how, and what direction it's going to. And, and so, and also teaching things about, about myself. Like I'm learning that I always write faster when I'm happy. And I always heard that. But I've never been to a competitive event where I was like happy to be suffering up a climb. And but for example, <laughs> at races like the last best ride, rooted Vermont, Grind Juro PA, that's what I experienced. And I was still able to get a result that I was happy with. So that happens. But yeah, no, I definitely feel the pressure. But it's like I I, I do think that the pressure at least with the people I have interacted in the cycling industry and my coworkers here, the pressure is actually being put on mostly by my, by me. So what I'm learning is that no, like I don't have to keep up with the guys. I can continue. I I can interact with them in a different way. It could be uh, by having dinner, meeting them after the ride, or um, for example, the dirty 30 ride, it used to be very in Philadelphia used to be very male dominated, like white male dominated. And now we're trying to diversify it. And one of the things that we did starting last year was we started a TFW um, version of it. So to welcome more riders. And that was amazing because even though I started that, it now runs itself. And even though if I don't want to wake up at five, there's still a group of like 
like 10 to 20 something women and uh, women identifying writers um, showing up for that. And they have created a third right now that because usually the dirty 30 is a drop right. Now they created a, a TFW no drop right. So there's three groups of cyclists. So it has grown in, in three years. It has grown so much already. So it's just something, and I, I brought that as an example of how rather than putting pressure on yourself, maybe you can be the one who creates a new space for people who are going through similar things that you're going through, like me be, being less fit and becoming a little slower, <laughs> right? So, so yeah, and also it, it kind of works because at the end of the day, most cyclists are cyclists because they love cycling, right? So I still love cycling. And what I am going through right now is not, that's strange. I think most cyclists will go through the, at, the, at different points and maybe, and for a woman, for men, it may be different for non-binary people. It may be different. So we just need more people like that, just put pitching in and, um, and doing their things. But yeah, like for example, yeah, like I, like when I went to Sea Otter, I wasn't able to join all the bike rides that I wanted to ride, but there was, there was so much stuff going on that I didn't feel FOMO because I didn't join this group ride by whatever brand was hosting it, but there was so much to do. So I would say, I'll just find something else to do that is very interesting to me rather than suffering because I can't keep up with these really fast people. Another solution that I'm thinking of, because I realize that as time goes by, I, I love cycling, but it, I don't have to ride 20 hours a week to be a cyclist. So I'm thinking, well, I can just get an e-bike. I can get an e-road bike. And whenever I do want to keep up with the you know, the editors of this and this magazine and the, and this, and the pro cyclists that I'm interviewing who invited me to their ride or whatever, I'll just bring an e-bike, you know, and I'll get a kick-ass, you know, e-bike for that. I do keep saying, I really want to get, um, do you remember a few years ago, I'm blank, it, Femke Vanden something got busted at world championships for having like a secret motor in her bike. Oh my God. Yes. Um, I have, I've been saying that I really want to get a bike that has a secret motor in it. So that way, whenever I'm like coaching camps or like on rides with like the, yeah, the, the fast guys just kind of hit like the secret button. And yeah, I mean, e-bike batteries and stuff are getting smaller and all that. And there's a, like, there's, for example, Cannondale has some e-bikes that you can't even tell they're e-bikes unless you take a closer look or you're riding right next to that person. So yeah, also there's no shame, like whatever keeps you happy and keeps in whatever way you find that you can still be a part of that community. If it includes an e-bike, then that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think you're totally right though, that like so much of it is like internal pressure that we're putting on ourselves. I think it's- Yeah, well, no, but we have to be fair. No, so I've, I have experienced the other type of pressure where it comes from other people. And maybe that's also one of the reasons why I left competitive cycling um, because I was just tired of feeling that pressure. It's like the press, the pressure to search when you're in the front of a group, even when you, we all know you shouldn't, because you feel like that you're slowing people down, especially when it's off-road riding and it's a narrow trail and people can't pass you, right? But yeah, but it's also just reminding yourself, like, know what kind of ride you're joining, what kind of team you're joining, what kind of racing you're, you you want to do. But yeah, I'm, and also another thing I wanted to mention was that like about being a cyclist, like I'm also learning that in the, in the fall and winter, I don't love cycling in the fall and winter because I'm not a cold weather person. I come from Puerto Rico and 
I don't like also putting that much spandex on and spending so much time getting dressed and getting undressed because I like to do a lot of things with my day. Um, so I've been running more. And it's like, what's wrong with running in the off season? I mean, cyclocrossers do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. So, so it's just so much easier to throw on a pair of shoes and a long shirt and shorts and go for a run. So I've been doing that and it helps because I work for Runner's World magazine now. And it all, it just helps to, when I get on the bike, I'm excited about cycling. Amazing. Awesome. All right. Well, we should, I could keep talking to you for hours, but (laughs) we we should wrap up here. So tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, keep up with all the cool stuff you're doing. So let's see on Instagram and Twitter, my handles are Rosael TD. That's R-O-S-A-E-L-T-D. And so that's Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, and on, on bicycling, like I have my author page there. If you look me up there so you can see what I've been writing, um yeah i think that's it just send me a dm on twitter or instagram i'll be happy to help people out with any questions they have about getting into the cycling industry amazing and we'll include links to all of that in the show notes thank you so much for chatting this was such a blast yeah so exciting thank you so much molly All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you found that conversation even half as illuminating as I did. Uh, I thought it was just such a great chat, whether you're thinking about shifting into a job as an editor working for any of these publications, or if you're a freelance writer or want to be one, uh, hopefully some of that info about the best way to carve out a pitch will be really helpful for you. Uh, Even for me, I've been a freelance author for 15, 18 years now. And I actually found that was super helpful. It reminded me to do the, okay, if I'm going to pitch this article, I need to make sure that the publication hasn't done something similar already. And if they have done something similar, what twist can I bring to this that's going to give it this update? Uh, That's something that takes a minute to do, but can make a pitch so much more meaningful. Uh, And even just the idea of not pitching an outlet or like five different outlets, the same article, which I know a lot of people do, it's very tempting, uh, but that tailoring to the audience that you think is is actually looking at that outlet. So I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Um, And I really love just kind of our discussions around, you know, when you're working for a company, how do you kind of keep yourself as an individual and keep growing and flourishing as yourself, not just as XYZ who works at the company. Uh, So I thought that was really interesting because I know so many of us uh, can really fall into this trap of being so defined by our jobs. But as we've learned in the last few years, uh, life gets messy. Jobs aren't always, you know, a guaranteed you're in this till you retire 50 years later. So kind of establishing yourself as yourself, not yourself at blah, blah, blah. Uh, It's just so important. And I think Rosale has done an amazing job of that while also being a kick-ass editor. So uh, definitely make sure you're checking out all of her stuff at Russell TD on all of the social channels. I'm over at Molly J. Herford. And definitely make sure you're following all of the feisty media channels at Feisty Media where you can get all the best podcast stuff and head to OutspokenSummit.com to learn more about the amazing summit coming up in mid-November. All right. Have a great week and we'll see you soon. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. 
As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in Feisty Media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you.